Section 11 of A Fair Mystery. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Eleanor Sakamoto. A Fair Mystery by Bertha M. Clay. The Foster Sisters. Summer day glided silently after summer day, and at Brackenside Farm Earl Moray was retelling for himself the story of Eden the love of one man for one woman, to him the only woman in the world. Alas, that his had not been a more guileless eve. The love-making was patent to everyone, and the family at the farm wondered where it would end. Mark Brace was truly sorry that Earl had set his heart on the lovely fantastic Doris, and yet, honest man, he did not wonder that any young fellow should be beguiled by so fair a face and he could not but be heartily amused at the queenly airs with which the farm foundling, believing herself a tenant-farmer's child, received the homage of Earl Moray, poet and gentleman, owner of the little estate of Lindenholm. Good Patty Brace was on her part greatly perplexed. With women's keen intuition in love, she perceived the intense sincerity of Earl's passion for Doris, and saw as well that Doris was entirely without heart for him. The girl admired him, loved his flattery, desired to be someone's chief object, but would have tossed him aside as easily as an old glove if a more dashing adorer had made his appearance. Besides, if Doris gave consent to Earl's wooing, would Mrs. Murray be well pleased with her son's choice? Mrs. Murray of Lindenholm was a thoroughly practical woman, and would see at a glance that the idle young beauty would be a very unreliable wife for any man, especially for one of moderate means. What fools men are in love matters, quoth Patty to herself, at least most men, with a thought backward to Mark's sensible choosing. This dreamer and verse-writer would have done well to choose our Matty, who would help him on and make him happy his life long. But Doris is only fit to marry a lord, as no doubt she sprung from a lord. But where a lord is to come from as a suitor, goodness knows, not I. And of all who saw the summer wooing, Matty was the most deeply touched, but gave no sign. When she felt the sharpness of the pain when Doris asserted empire over Earl, then Mattie first guessed that she had set her love upon him, and she gave herself the task of rooting out lover's love and planting sisterly affection in its stead. Her gentle face grew graver, her soft brown eyes had a more wistful light, but not a thought of jealousy or anger or envy. God was good to Mattie in that no ill weeds throve in her maiden soul. Doris did not find the sweetness she had expected in tormenting her, for Mattie gave no signs of torment. Rather for Earl than for herself she was sad, and that with reason. It is sad to see a young man love absorbingly, madly, giving up all for love. Doris became his one idea. Even his mother, while she knew he was attracted by a pretty daughter of Mark Brace, did not guess his infatuation. Scarcely an hour in the day where the young pair parted. Earl had told Doris of the poet's old recipe for a lovely complexion, washing in morning dew, and Doris, to preserve the most exquisite complexion in the world, went out, when the sun rose, to bathe her cheeks and brow with the other lilies and roses in the dews of the dawning. Earl met her and rambled with her through flowery lanes. When his supposed studies in farming began, he was rather lounging at the feet of Doris than learning of Mark Brace. Yet so eagerly did he hurry off to the farm that his mother blessed his unwanted attention to his duty. He dined at home, not to leave his mother lonely, 
then off again, and his farm studies consisted in reading poetry or tales to Doris, under trees, or wandering far into the gloaming with her in Brackenside Garden. His heart poured itself out in Herrick's grand old song to Anthea. Thou art my life, my soul, my heart, the very eyes of me. Thou hast command of every part to live and die for thee. His rich young voice rolled forth these words with deep feeling. Doris laughed at the song at first, but his earnestness in singing it touched her very little. I shall always think of you when I hear that song, she said. Think of me, yes, but if it means that we are to be parted, and you think, just to remember, Doris, I should die. He was fervid, handsome, romantic, brilliant in love's first golden glow, hard to resist. She smiled at him. Let us fancy we will not be parted, she said sweetly. Earl came hurrying up one day after dinner. Now for a long evening in the garden, he cried. I have brought a new drama. The poetry is exquisite. We will sit in the arbor under the honeysuckle, and while the summer wind is full of the breath of flowers, I will read you the sweeter breathing of a poet's soul. Come, Doris. Come, Mattie. Let us off to the garden. Mattie's face flushed with joy. It was so sweet to find some pleasure she could share with him. Earl read. His voice was full of fire and music. Mattie listened entranced. Doris half forgot her favorite dreams of herself in gorgeous crowds, the center of admiration. The gloaming fell as he read the last lines. It is beautiful in its poetry, said Mattie, but not in its idea. I cannot love the heroine, though her face is fair. Beauty should be united to goodness, and goodness has not this cruel pride. To think of a woman who would let a brave man die, or risk death, to win a smile. I always hated the lady who threw the glove, and I think the knight served her well to leave her when he returned the glove, for she had no idea of true love. Beauty has a right to all triumphs, cried Doris, and men have always been ready to die for beauty's smile. A good man's life is worth more than any woman's smile, said Mattie. The man's life, the woman's life, are heaven's gifts, to be spent in doing good. We have no right to throw them idly away or demand their sacrifice. I never liked these stories of wasted affection. They are too pitiful. To give all and get nothing is a cruel fate. Oh, you little silly country girl, laughed Doris. You do not think that beautiful women are queens and hearts are their rightful kingdom, and they can get as many as they like and do what they please with them. You talk to amuse yourself, said Earl. That sweet smile and voice fit your cruel words as little as they would suit an executioner's sword. What is slaying by treachery in love better than murder? asked Mattie eagerly. It is a very exciting, piquant, interesting form of murder, retorted her wicked little sister. How can anyone enjoy giving pain? cried Mattie. I have read of such women, but to me they seem true demons, however fair. Think of destroying hope, life, genius, morals. For what? For amusement. And yet these sons all had mothers. You are in earnest, Mattie said Earl admiringly. I feel in earnest, said Mattie passionately. Pshaw, there is much spider and fly in men and women, laughed Doris. Women weave silvery nets in the sun, and the silly men walk straight in. Who's to blame? You talk like a worn-out French cynic, cried Mattie. Well, who is to blame, persisted Doris. Pretty women for just amusing themselves according to their natures. 
or silly men for walking into danger being warned. It should not be a woman's nature to set traps for hearts or souls. You know better, Doris, urged Maddie. If I could be rich and great and go to London and live in society, you'd see if I would do better, retorted Doris. You two remind me of verses of a poem on two sisters, said Earl. Their lives lay far apart. One sought the gilded world and there became a being fit to startle and surprise, till men moved to the echoes of her name and bowed beneath the magic of her eyes. Yes, that means me, said Doris tranquilly. But she, the other, with a happier choice, dwelt among the breezes of her native fields, laughed with the brooks and saw the flowers rejoice, brimmed with all sweetness that the summer yields. That, then, is Maddie. Maddie looked up in gratified surprise. If you are complimenting Maddie, I won't stay and hear it. I reign alone, cried Doris, half laughing, half petulant, and darting away she sought her own room and refused to return that night. It was often so. When she had sunned Earl with her smiles she withdrew her presence, or changed smiles to frowns, so he was never cloyed with too much sweetness. When Doris withdrew, in vain he sang under the window, or sent her loveful notes. The summer sun of his love had its settings, its shadows, its thunderclouds, yet Earl loved and was happy. End of section 11